Hello, spooky friends. Before we start, I just wanted to let everyone know that the Would You Die podcast just launched a Patreon. It's indeed very exciting times, and you should join. Three separate tiers of $5, $10, and $20. And this Patreon features all sorts of perks, like monthly bonus episodes, movie commentaries, an exclusive mug, and much, much more. This month, the bonus episode will be returning Would You Die champion Bobby Torres to discuss Evil Dead. And the movie commentary will be my favorite scary movie, Alien. Check it out, and I really hope you consider joining. I'm going to take the time to shout out my current patrons, John Owens, Waffle Woodworking, Adele Kasaborski, Andrew and Maggie, Lisa Petersmark, Lex Vranick, and Eric Barassa. Thank you guys so, so much. Time for the show. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. You are all my children now. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by accomplished writer and director. She's made a bunch of shorts, features, documentaries, you name it, she probably did it. Please welcome Heather Taylor. Hello, thank you so much, Austin, for having me on the podcast. For sure. I am so excited to talk to you, especially because... Your pick, your topic that you picked for today, I, I'm so excited. We are talking the iconic hit show from the modern master of horror, Mike Flanagan, The Haunting of Hill House. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it's an appropriate, I had to make an appropriate ghost noise. So <laughs> that you did. <laughs> that you did. Ah, uh, but before we get into The Haunting of Hill House, how long have you been a horror fan? So it's really interesting. I was thinking about this the other day because I realized that I kind of got into watching horrific things because I used to sneak out after my mom went to bed and I would watch really late night B-movie, whatever was on the television. And it was mostly like horror, um, like Twilight Zone, Tales from the Crypt, unknown horror to this day. I have no idea what I was watching and it terrified me. <laughs> um, but we weren't really allowed to watch scary things at home because my little sister would get really sc like scared and couldn't sleep. So I ended up just watching those things on my own. And so I realized that it's been kind of embedded in my psyche since I was really young. Um, it just took me a little bit of time to figure out what I was actually watching and like what was really inspiring me. But I think it's always kind of been there. And then watching like, yeah, just anything I could. Um, I used to read and I used to read things, anything like like fantastical. So I always had that kind of um, love of monsters and creatures and kind of things that can terrorize you, but also has a humanity of its own, which has always made me really excited. For sure. In addition to the various ghosties that we see in Hill House, do you have uh, some other favorite monsters and creatures? I think that, um, I'm trying to think like the most recent film that I love the most, I guess it, ha it has a creature to it, but uh, His House, which is mm. like a Netflix horror, drama horror. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And it does have a creature that lives in the wall, but really is a representation of like guilt and trauma 
um, which I, you know, I think that's themes that I love to play with too. So I love this kind of thing that crawls on the walls and you know, remains hidden, but kind of, it's like that idea of the thing that lives under your skin. Ugh, so Ooh, good. Gotcha. It's funny. Cause it seems like you really like your scary house, uh, uh, stories <laughs> with his house and haunting of hill house <laughs> just houses just only houses only monsters and houses <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh have you ever seen the movie called uh the changeling okay i have to admit i have not seen the changeling but i do know the changeling myth and i have seen most changeling myth most recent changeling myth i saw was you're not my mother um and i don't know mm. if you saw that irish urban folk horror um fantastic takes on that idea of the changeling myth kind of representing bipolar disorder in a parent. Um, so again, like a fantastic way of looking at mental illness through the lens of essentially like a creature that looks like this person's parent. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Also in a house. <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep on theme. Now I'm keep just trying theme. to, now I'm trying <laughs> to think of all like the spook. I, obviously we got the Amityville horror. Oh yes, of course. And act with your house things. Um, well, we do have the first season of American Horror Story was set in a house. Oh, I've only seen the second season. Scary House Ghosts. That is <laughs> a definite place to find them is in season one. Oh, oh, there's uh, 13 ghosts. Oh, yes. 13 ghosts. Mm -hmm. Iconic um, haunted house. You could probably say um, Mama oh. is multiple houses, but still connected via that kind of weird thing in the wall so mama there's Straight. poltergeist oh gosh yes poltergeist that's, <laughs> that's a very, fairly seminal one um the first one that i ever watched i think that the first horror film that i watched that i knew was a horror film like that sat down to watch rather than something that just was on tv when i clicked you know tv when i clicked it on at night late at night as mm -hmm. like an eight, an eight year old which i shouldn't have been watching these shows at all um was probably <laughs> uh the exorcist which i'd say is oh jeez, house related Oh, geez. <laughs> no, I'd say so. Yeah, those scary stairs that seem to kill everybody, <laughs> like down the back of the house, you know? Yeah. And then when she, uh, Reagan, spider crawls down the stairs. Yes. See, it's <gasps> all house. Yeah, exactly. All house related. I mean, yeah. I think there's a lot of like, they even say, if you even look back to screenwriting, you know, this kind of screen, people love Save the Cat. They always call it, they call the horror stuff monster in the house. Um, aliens, if you consider a spaceship, a house, sure. So, you know, I feel like sure. there's a lot of, a lot of that going around. And, uh, it's not necessarily like haunting, but most of Halloween takes place in the same two houses. So you could say yeah. that it's haunted by Michael, not necessarily and like a true haunting, like a ghost or a demon, but Michael Myers does haunt those two houses and he does Move around like a ghost, a shape, if you will. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like we could probably trace back a lot of things to like single dwelling. It's so much, or even like um, uh, Night of the Dead, where they all put themselves in the house. Yeah. Lock themselves in the house from the zombies. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, just houses, stay away from houses. You'll be okay. As I'm currently in a house. Well, I'm in a house too. <laughs> Damn it. We're not, we're not following our own advice. Nope. Sorry, everyone. And everyone's listening might be also in a house. I mean, they could be in a car, but again, Christine, that That's was a scary, true. scary uh, murder car. So it's a haunted car, technically. Yeah. 
That is true. So I fucking love Christine. That is one oh, of my favorite movies. The Shining. What are we what are we doing? Oh the my Shining. god. <laughs> that is like the haunted house movie. Yes. So I feel like, yeah, there's a long history of haunted houses, you know, brought to the fore, you know, forefront by the most recent incarnation of the haunting of Hill House and many others that follow because like his house came obviously after that. But, you know, one house at a time. (laughs) (laughs) I do got to give a quick shout out to the the haunted house movie uh, that, you know, if you're a millennial, this probably traumatized you. But paranormal activity. Oh yes, I saw that in the movie theater. I and, did too. Oh my gosh, so I saw all of the all th- the first three in the movie theaters, and we left. I think it was this. I can't remember which one it was, but we left the movie theater mm-hmm. and went outside, and it was the streets were empty, and it was windy, and like leaves were blowing across the street. I'm just like, I can't handle oh, this. Jeez. I'm like, I can't deal with like the this scary, like just like a scary, ominous feeling. And then mm-hmm. I think it was the last one we saw in the theater, and I was in London, and we went, we were in Leicester Square, and we left the theater. And my friend was clutching my arm, and then someone brushed her hand as he walked by, and she just screamed on the top of her lungs. <laughs> so it's like she was so traumatized. I was like, "Oh my goodness, no more horror films for you." Oh jeez. <laughs> but yeah, that. So when the first Paranormal Activity came out, I was a freshman in high school, and it was the first, not the first horror movie I seen in theaters, but it yeah. was like the first one that it was one of the first ones, and it was definitely it. It scarred me for life. Um, <laughs> I, I will remember seeing that in theaters till the day I die because my mom, wonderful, wonderful human being, probably one of the best, like top 10 moms of all time. She took me and my friends to go see Paranormal Activity. Oh, Can wow. you imagine taking like a bunch of teenage boys to their, to like one of the scariest movies in a packed theater? <laughs> yes well they was she there with you or did she was she just drop you off she was there with us oh wow does your mom like horror movies oh she loves them oh great so she's like <laughs> i bet she had some evil laughter inside of her well it well the turn uh the turntable on the tables have turned on her geez the tables have turned on her because now i take her to all the scary the scary movies and i'm the one with the evil laughter now that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> but no she loves uh she loves horror films we actually go to the the same uh horror convention in cincinnati together oh, so amazing. so that's a lot of fun but yeah we'll go she goes with me and my friends still like that's we just amazing. saw we just saw scream six last oh, week awesome and she I'm... went with me and my friends <laughs> oh that's so cool i haven't seen it yet my family doesn't watch horror oh um, no at all. Yeah, I'm the only one who likes scary things. And again, because it's like they made basically because because of them not watching it. That's probably what why I got so excited about watching these like forbidden shows or forbidden things late at night. All these like old, old shows. Um, yeah. And I, they, they didn't scar me. It actually just set me up for the way that I like to look at the world. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, my goodness. I'm revealing too much now. Um <laughs> Well, that's what podcasts are for. Exactly. <laughs> but um, no, it's it's fun. I love it. I was such a scared kid growing up, though. Like I 
I think looking back on it, I was always destined to become a horror fan. Mm. But everything scared me. I just had a huge fascinated fascination with monsters and creatures. Like like you said you had earlier. Yeah. But anything with ghosts, I couldn't handle anything with like slashers. I like I couldn't handle Michael, Jason, Freddy, Ghostface like mm. ugh. <laughs> I, I think I don't like it's interesting because I I think I don't like arbitrary jump scares because mm-hmm. they do scare me and I know it's coming and it's and it's usually the sound that does it always like oh good sound design is like amazing for for films for for horror films specifically I think it's so important but I just for me I realized the th- things that always I'm okay with like things that don't have any feelings to them like I'm gonna admit I watched Midsummer I felt nothing like I'm like I don't care if these people die. Like I just, I just didn't have any emotional connection to the story. Like I did at the very beginning when you, when, you know, the stuff happened, I'm not going to say in case someone didn't watch it. I know it's from a while ago, but you know, terrible stuff happens to lead characters, family. And that was really like, oh my God, this is setting us up for this. And I just didn't really feel that connection. And I realized the more emotionally I connected to a show or to something, to the thing that I'm watching, the more it can scare me. And the more that actually some of the personal moments, like, you know, I'll say, you know, as we talked about Haunting of Hell House, especially the, there's an episode that has one of the twins, Nell's um, brother, Luke, his episode was one of the hardest for me to watch because of the, not the ghosts, but the trauma that he was going through. And that dread that you felt the whole time with him as this character trying to like save himself from ghosts, but through an addiction, which is, is a ghost in itself. So I think like the, those things hit me so much harder. So I realize a lot of things don't scare me, but it has the emotional punch and the scary thing at the same time. Ugh, like I just can't handle it. That's really interesting that you bring that up because emotion is, I feel like emotions a fairly subjective mm-hmm. uh, experience because for, um, I'll, I'm just going to take my favorite movie of all time. Jurassic Park. Yes. Love it. Uh, Everyone who listens to this show regularly is like, okay, there's a Jurassic Park reference for the episode. We're good to go. Uh, (laughs) But I bring that up because every time I watch it, I have an extreme emotional reaction to it. Mm. It is just like my favorite movie of all time. And it has been since I've, since I was three years old, I've never changed it. I've always had the same answer. Which is both a good and bad thing, depending on how you look at it. But I bring that up because, like I said, I have this huge emotional reaction to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know there are people where it's like, oh, it's cool. There's dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Like, they it, do not have that emotional reaction. It's interesting because I yeah, I love Jurassic Park. And it is. Yeah, there's a lot of fear there. I'm just trying to think of like it is because it's, like, it's a scary film. But that first one, because I think a lot of times when if you watched it at a time where there wasn't when it originally not originally came out or like close to when there wasn't a lot of technology to show like dinosaurs in the way that it showed dinosaurs there's a sense Mm -hmm. of awe from the audience as well as like there's a you know good story there and great actors and you know this thing of there's like greed and then also the idea of scientific discovery and awe and joy like intermingled I can see like why there's a big emotional impact because we're also seeing something we have never seen in that capacity before. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, music has, has a lot to do with 
um, manipulating emotion. And if there's anyone good at manipulating emotion, it is that duo of Steven Spielberg and John Williams. <laughs> yes, exactly. And there's so much about family in that as much as you don't really think about that. But there is this idea of like family and disconnection and broken families, which Steven Spielberg loves to to talk about. But I think that's important. That's why we feel some connection and to these characters that are kind of broken and then have created this makeshift family to make it through the kind of scariest moment of their life. Right. And, and then on the, on the other side of that coin, I can see why someone doesn't have an emotional connection whatsoever to it. They're like, Oh, it was good. You know? <laughs> yes. And like you said earlier, you didn't have an emotional connection to midsummer, but I know I'm in between. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of people who love, deeply love that movie, and they felt something that I didn't, and that mm -hmm. I'm assuming you didn't either. And I, I just think it's so interesting. But I think like horror taps into the deepest parts of us, right? So right, it's about the things that we find personally scary or things that we find like difficult or things that we may have faced with our, in our own lives or with our own families, or, you know, those things of like, I don't, you know, what happens if I don't want any of my family members to, to die? Like what happens when that happens? Or like when people are going through these like horrible moments that you can't help them, you, they feel like they're beyond help. And those are things that could be things that trigger me to be, have, have more fear. And I maybe because midsummer felt like, I think because we lost that family story that started it, I was like, oh, I really want to know more about, I thought there'd be more about the family. And then it just felt to me, like I could see all, I could see the painting. Like I could see everything that was going to happen. So I was like, mm, okay, I know what's going to happen. This is like a version of the Wicker Man, but modern and in some Scandinavian country. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It was, it was interesting, but I watched it. I was like, okay, I get it. I, I can see how people like get scared and there's parts that are gory, but I'm like, I just didn't feel that connection, uh, that emotional tug that would have, I think, brought more fear personally um, to my viewing. And I think that there are a lot of people out there that really connect to the Florence Pugh character. Mm -hmm. Maybe they went through that same kind of gaslighting that she does. Mm -hmm. So, cause that, that movie does take a turn and I, I don't want to spoil Midsommar um, in this podcast. I'm sure someone will pick it and I'll spoil it all over on that one, <laughs> that episode. But um, yeah, I think um, I can see why people will deeply could deeply relate to it, even yeah. though I we necessarily di didn't like I think it's a really good movie, but I'm not going to rewatch it unless I have to. Mm hmm. Whereas something like Dr. Sleep, mm -hmm. I'll put that on every so often. Yeah. And I think it really depends on like how it strikes a chord with you. Right. Um, and I, yeah, it's interesting because it's like, I can see it as being like, yeah, I see the, how it, you know, it's like, I enjoy the way it's felt. Like I enjoy it in a certain way, but yeah, I don't think I'd watch it again. I was watching it for a specific reason. And I just really wanted to see how I was, I also was looking at it in a different capacity. I was not watching it as a passive viewer, but I was also watching to see like, okay, how did, what are the, what are the things they're doing? I was looking at it as a writer um, versus just looking at it as a viewer. So that could have also been a reason why I felt a little more disconnected, but I think you're right. Like every film, I don't know. It just depends on a lot of reasons 
why that's why horror is so interesting because everyone has a different flavor and the fact that anyone could say horror is like one thing is yeah it's ridiculous horror is so many different things and everyone has a different thing that they like that really gives them makes it rewarding for them to watch that specific thing and that specific right Mm -hmm. and and when when you go like when you go on twitter and you see people just arguing uh over like whatever movie just came out uh Mm -hmm. let's say halloween ends for example because that one had a lot of arguments around it a lot of people had really really different opinion like they either loved it or hated it i very much did not like it i refuse to say i hated it but (laughs) i i very much didn't like it but at the same time i'm reading like all these arguments on twitter because i apparently have nothing better to do with my time (laughs) and i'll see people be like well did you like did you watch a different movie or something and they mean it Mm -hmm. as like an insult or something but i'm thinking about i'm like we literally everyone watches movies differently yes like we can watch the same uh the same line of moving images and have very different like we all see things differently, interpret things mm-hmm. differently. So the same role of film means something different to me than it might to you. Uh, and yeah. both of and our it, interpretations are different from someone else. <laughs> exactly. And, it, and it's not only like it's going through a filter of your experiences, your fears yeah. and everything, but it also is going through like what happened that day? What time of day are you watching it? How are you feeling? Are you engaged? Are you unengaged? Are you tired? Are you awake? Like there's like all these other parts to it that we don't really consider as being something that can change our viewing experience, but a hundred percent does. Or you exactly. in, in an audience of people um, where you can feel the tension from the people around you creating that kind of communal experience, or are you at home like in the afternoon? Or are you alone in a house at night watching something and then you realize like, I have to run to bed and, and lock my door because now I'm terrified of my own house. Like it's right. all very dependent on many, like, there's so many things it's dependent on um, when you're thinking about horror that you just can only create what you can create. But if I look at something like Haunting of Hell House, I was <laughs> downloaded it and was watching it in the mornings on the way to this program I was doing when I, when it first came out. and I there was a jump scare in it and I literally like jumped out of my seat on the tra- on the subway. I was so embarrassed. And, but I was like, it had that power that even in the middle of a busy subway at eight in the morning, it still got me. So there is some shows and some things that can transcend, I think, but again, it, it's going to go through and be filtered through my own experiences. And I, I think the truly great pieces of, like the truly great films and shows are the ones that most people you talk to are like, Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always going to be hate on the internet. <laughs> well, like, <yes. laughs> like I'm going to use, I'm going to use Jurassic park as an example again. Love it. Or, actually, no, I'm going to use jaws as an example. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because I think Jaws is the greatest film of all time. Mm -hmm. I've said this on the podcast before. I don't care. I feel like a lot of like if you heard me say this before, if you're listening, I'm sorry. You're going to hear this whole spiel again. (laughs) But 
I think Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Not necessarily the best movie of all time. I haven't seen that as I've seen a bunch of movies, but not as many to feel comfortable saying something's the mm-hmm. best. But when it comes to like the history of cinema, there is a definite before Jaws and after Jaws. Yes. I don't think any other film has transformed the world, not just the industry, but the world like Mm -hmm. Jaws had. Yeah. And the way we looked at the way we looked at cinema, the way that cinema is made and and it opened the doors to the idea of the blockbuster, which didn't exist before this, that, that time. Right. And you don't get movies like Avatar, Avengers, Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't get Jaws, and on the other, and on another side of it, Jaws really negatively affected people's perception of sharks. It did, which and is it... a very negative impact that a film shouldn't have. <laughs> well, the writer actually it was the I don't know if it's the writer of the film or the because it was I think it was adapted from a book. Yeah, Peter Benchley. Yeah, he, they started to do. He started to do. Um, shark conservation ever since that film because I, yeah yeah because they were like that i shouldn't have or he was like i shouldn't have um like by doing this i didn't mean to have this impact and we are going to be needlessly hurting animals that don't hurt us so and in that while, in the capacity sorry, sorry go <laughs> sorry go ahead no i'm sorry about that <laughs> we're we're getting excited so <laughs> we are getting excited i'm like jaws, jaws, jaws. no it is exciting uh, yeah. but it, but it also yes it proves also the power that cinema can have and the impact it can have. Like, look at how it impacted uh, sharks. And even to this day, people think, oh, they're so dangerous. And so few people die from shark attacks comparatively to what people believe that actually happens. Right. And like everyone who was alive in that time, like you hear them say all the time, oh, I didn't go in the water in the 70s. Mm. <laughs> like, no one. Like, I don't think that many people are like, hey, I stopped taking showers after I saw Psycho. <laughs> Which I think I Psycho is a great film. I love Psycho. But I never heard, I don't hear that, you know? Yeah. I don't hear people watching The Ring, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't hear people watching The Ring and saying, you know, I'm never watching a VHS again. That is true. But I've I think it's because, because it's so... It's the idea of hidden depths, right? Places that you can't see what's coming is way scarier, right? right? And I think it's that's that's the thing is where other things don't feel believable. Like it doesn't feel believable that someone's going to crawl out of your television set, but it does feel believable that you could be eaten by a shark. Right. And I, I'm glad that you brought up Peter Benchley a little earlier because mm-hmm. his response to, because Jaws created this negative impact our perception mm-hmm. for sharks. But then a lot of people had that same kind of idea that Peter Benchley have. And without without Jaws, I don't think we get Shark Week. Yeah. Or Sharknado. Our Sharknado. Right. The true, the true <laughs> cultural impact. Well, I'm, I am scared of sharks and tornadoes together. Like, who would not be scared of that? <laughs> uh, exactly. But, you know, no one says... No one says, you know, twist without Twister, we don't get Sharknado. No, they say without Jaws, we don't get Sharknado. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it is really the best baby of two films. Right. 
Twister and yeah, Twister, as you mentioned, Twister and, and Jaws, their baby is Sharknado, obviously. And like, why why did I bring up Jaws again? Oh yeah. That was my spiel of why it's the greatest film of all time. I don't think any film has had an impact that transcended cinema quite like Jaws had to the point where, where it truly affects biology. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But even then, you still go on the internet and people will be like, Jaws was mid. I don't get the hype. And it's literally the greatest movie ever made. No, but you. But I think there's also, there's this interesting thing. There's a podcast called Blockbuster and they talk about it mm-hmm. a little bit because they have one, one season's about Spielberg, one season's about uh, James Cameron. But they talk about Ooh. how, yeah, it's really good. You should listen to it. If you haven't, um, I do not have any affili- affiliation with this podcast, but it's amazing. Uh, but they're talking about the fact that before Blockbusters existed, they didn't exist. And it's hard to tell. It's hard for your brain to wrap around something like there's one day it, it was not there and the next day it was. And then Blockbuster became this kind of thing with like, oh, it's just like, oh, it's another Marvel movie. It's another cheap thrills, whatever. But you're like, no, these things didn't exist before. So now you can look back and go, oh, whatever. It's just this other Blockbuster. But when those things were starting, those were, that was innovation in yeah. cinema that no one had, had ever witnessed those things. And it's the same thing when when cinema first began, when they had the train that drove towards the camera and people who had never seen cinema got scared and like jumped out of the way. Well, it was on a screen. It wasn't kind of hit them, but there was no concept because it was so new. And I think there is that thing now where people are like, oh, now we know what blockbusters are. And they seem to be like everywhere and often seen as something bad. But it was innovation and it was like adventure and thrilling and it's a good time but now it's like that sometimes people are like oh but it's not as good it's not good filmmaking but it is good filmmaking it's just we're now used to it as being this type of film right and we're so privy to the formulas yes exactly but where those formulas didn't exist they made those up right right like a common criticism i see of steven spielberg is well he's too mainstream it's like no he was so popular that mainstream is Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yes. And I think like he, I've never seen someone combine this action and always, there's always family at the core and broken family and people trying to like keep things together and, and be as connected as possible through all of his films, which I think is like, it just adds this other layer. And I think sometimes that's forgotten that it's just so neatly woven together that we don't yeah. necessarily see those things, but they're such a key part of it, which makes it's just why people feel often so connected to those films. Oh, yeah. And Jaws has made a profound impact on countless filmmakers, mm-hmm. myself included. Uh, I don't mean to make an assumption, but I'm assuming you were very influenced by Jaws as a filmmaker in one way or, no- or the other. Yeah, Someone I mean, because... Who, yeah. but it, but. It's also because Jaws influenced so much else that came after it. So how could you not be influenced by something? But for me, it's like that, again, like, it's amazing that, you know, we're we're basically putting the person who's who's afraid of water. He has to go and, like, fight sharks. That's, like, amazing. Amazing. Like, just there's so many good things set up in that film and so much experimentation in that film that led to so much other will we say, you know, to be those great films that pe- are people's favorites for their lives. Right. Uh, someone who's gone on record as being like a huge fan of Jaws, it's one of his favorite movies, 
is filmmaker Mike Flanagan. Mm -hmm. And that is the writer-director behind The Haunting of Hill House and a lot of great stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think well, what made me think of him, one, it's the main topic, but <laughs> what made me think of it is you nailed it on the head on how Spielberg incorporates family mm -hmm. in every film he does. Yes. Every film. And Mike Flanagan kind of has similar through through lines in his work. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about having an emotional connection. Mike Flanagan's one of those filmmakers. I have a deep emotional connection to everything he makes. Like, I don't know. The stuff he makes just speaks to me. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think for me, when, I, when watching specifically, like I've seen other things as well, but specifically watching Haunting of Hell House, it was so well-crafted and so deeply emotional and every single, this whole thing was is exploring people's, like not just the family, but a broken family that we see in the past as being whole and in the, and in the present being so terribly broken and all of the guilt that they carry that feels like the experience of a lot of families, whether or not people want to admit that. And I think he just kind of got to the core of um, what it's like to have, you know, kind of a big break, a breaking moment that can break families apart and what it can do to you. And I just think it's, and it's told so expertly, but also through the guise of horror that allows us to actually talk about it um, in a way that maybe doesn't feel as traumatic, but yet gets to the core of that feeling of, of living with a family that may have um, and may be afflicted with mental illness and how people can come to terms with that. For sure. If you're listening to this and you have not watched The Haunting of Hill House, pause this episode right now. <laughs> binge, binge that show because I'm going to rip off the Band-Aid. We're in full spoiler territory now, <laughs> which which that doesn't mean I'm going to start, you know, oh, and this is how it ends. But I'm just going to be like, you know what? We're in spoiler spoiler territory. We might not even say any. We're probably going to say a bunch. But I just want to I just want to be like, OK, the safe zone. If you haven't seen it, that's over. Done. So. <laughs> I mean, it's been five years, so get on it, <laughs> which I haven't seen it. I know, uh, but you until have very seen it. recently, very yeah. recently. <laughs> Some backstory for everyone listening. When Heather and I were setting up this uh, conversation, I had not seen The Haunting of Hill House. And I did it all in one day because I got very Whoa. sick over a weekend. Oh, no. <laughs> and I had nothing to do. So I laid on the couch all day and I watched The Haunting of Hill House in essentially one sitting. Did you feel very highly traumatized afterwards? Or <laughs> did you walk away okay? No, actually, the ending is... For a scary movie, the ending is quite sweet. I think. I mean, there are there are some horrifying moments in it. Yes. Parts that I was like, ugh. Mm -hmm. But the ending, like, oh my God, made me cry. Mm -hmm. But also gave me hope in a weird way. Yep. It's amazing. And I haven't felt this emotionally affected by a TV show since... Uh, like two years ago when I watched Midnight Mass. 
So really, it's just Mike Flanagan. <laughs> it, it's really, it really is just Mike Flanagan. It really, because like I, I consider myself a huge movie watcher. I'm not really into TV, but after watching uh, Haunting of Hill House, I watched Haunting of Bly Manor like the next day. Oh, wow. And then I watched The Midnight Club right after that. <laughs> so now you are going to be aficionado and of everything Mike Flanagan does. <laughs> the only thing I haven't seen of his is his Ouija movie and his very first movie, but I've seen everything else. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, I don't, yeah. I feel like I'm not as caught up, but I, I feel like I kind of say like, you know, that's be like, oh, who do you want to be one day? And I'm like, well, Mike Flanagan, <laughs> like film, like making films, making television sh shows, but also being able to really like to both write and direct, but also to be like, to be, to, to have such a, and I'm saying heavy hand in a good way in mm -hmm. the work to put his mark on what he's making. And I'm like, that's what I, I want to be able to do is to talk about these types of things that he's talking about, but through my lens. And that's why it's just, I find it highly inspirational as well as like terrifying and making, you know, he made my, as we were saying, my favorite monster um, yeah. was also, you know, not a monster, which is why I love complicated monsters. This idea of like how they are both the thing that scares you, but also they are their own th thing as well. They're not just senseless, um, even though you believe they could be, they are, they're not, I love when they're not. And that's why specifically the bet neck lady was yeah. the, the thing, the, what you think of as thing, but the element that scared me the most, but also became this idea of like the thing that, that haunts you, that haunts all of us. And that that is like the future that we are destined to fulfill, um, even when we don't want to fulfill it, especially when you come from a family who has mental illness and uh, most mental illness is hereditary. And that fear you carry that you too will have the thing that you are scared to get. I'm just going to say it. Haunting of Hill House, better than hereditary. If anyone wants to come fight me, meet me outside <laughs> in the parking lot. But no, uh, I... I love how you put that. And I didn't mean to turn this into an Ari Aster shade episode. Like we both of us weren't too hot on Midsummer. I don't really care for Hereditary. I think Ari Aster is a really good filmmaker. No, I just I, don't I think, connect. I think I think Midsummer was very well like it was made really well and I and it was constructed well. Like I yeah, I just didn't connect with it. This is fine, totally fair. Nothing but respect. I just be, I did not fine. mean for it to turn into shade. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not I'm not throwing shade. I'm not throwing shade. I mean, I just that's, realized. That's I, I, yeah, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. <laughs> you, Austin. Uh, <laughs> not me. Not me. <laughs> but like, I just threw a joke, and I'm like, wait a second, that's mm -hmm. way too many digs aimed at one guy who's super talented and does not deserve this blatant disrespect from me. It's okay. I'm sure that I'm sure they're all right with that. Well, I mean, I I'm sure he I'm sure Mike Flanagan listens to this. I'm sure uh, Steven Spielberg listens <laughs> yeah. to this. Um, well, it, if they don't, they should. I mean, obviously. feel free to DM me, guys. I, I'd love to chat. But yeah, I I had to stop myself there because I'm like, all right, because people are gonna think I don't like Ari Aster, and and that's not true at all. But we're just I, talking about like degrees of like connection, emotional connection right. with something. That's all. So we're not talking about how filming, not talking about the filmmaking per se, but just like 
that connection and emotional resonance and the things that you saw by Mike Flanagan just resonated more. That's all. Exactly. And I'm very biased towards Mike Flanagan's work because I think he's like one of my top five filmmakers all time. Amazing. I'm number six, right? Uh, just joking. Sorry. You're number four, actually. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just teasing. One day, one day I'll be number four. Uh, you got some heavy competition, so. <laughs> I got time. All I got is time. You know what? You and me both. Like, <laughs> if one day I could be on someone's top five in addition to my mom's, that's how I know I'll make it. Just needs yes. to be one other person besides my mom. Um, yes. I do on which, a top five of someone I don't know. That's yeah. that's the important part. Yeah. Right. Right. Now I'm biased. Now I know you. Now we're friends. Mm. So, so I better be like somewhere in the top 100. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> just wait. Just give me, yeah, give me a couple of years. Just wait. Just you wait. Just you wait. Hell yeah. I love it. But yeah, I, I, I can safely say that Mike Flanagan is top five for me because what I really want to talk about is the bent neck lady and yes. probably one of the best reveals I've ever seen in a TV show or movie. Mm. It's a fantastic reveal. And you know what? I'll let you rip the bandaid off. We're in spoiler territory. Yeah, it's. In episode, specifically in episode five, that you get to meet the Betnack lady in a more, and, and here, see Nell's story. And because like in Haunted Hill House, for those who haven't watched it and, and don't care about spoilers and who are listening, you kind of start to see every episode through the lens of one of the siblings of the Crane family, of which there are five. There's Steve, Shirley, Theo, Luke, and Nell. And Luke and Nell are the youngest and they're a set of twins. And now you kind of see her life and this impact this ghost has that she sees and she always blames on sleep paralysis and through her life, it, it kind of comes almost like a harbinger of death. And you see this kind of shapeless, almost uh, what did, I read the, the, the terms, a dark specter with un, an unsettling silhouette, um, which has haunted her since she was a six-year-old. And at the very end um, of her life, which is the thing that brings together her family, um, she goes back to the house, um, the, the seminal house of, of Haunting of Hill House. So she returns to Hill House, which is just a shell of itself, but she hallucinates and the house shows her the, the future she wishes she had, where the family's all together and happy and the mom's still there. And her brother, Luke, who is an addict, is is sober and clean clean and and everyone's happy and her husband is there and her husband had died and she blamed the bet, the bet neck lady because she'd seen the bet neck lady when he died and she was paralyzed and couldn't help him and at the very end of her life when her mother puts a necklace around her neck um the, this necklace that was a locket that she had told now that she could have that would keep her safe um she realizes the thing around her neck isn't a necklace but actually a noose and uh, the last words, her mother, which is actually the ghost of her mother or whatever the Hill House is, um, basically goes up to her and just says, um, you know, time to wake up, sweetheart. And she pushes her and she falls with a snap and breaks her neck. And as she dies, she has those moments of consciousness where she starts to like drop down 
And she starts to drop down into all those moments in her past that she had seen the, the bent neck lady, except now she is the bent neck lady looking at herself. And she goes back in order of the most recent to the most furthest in the past when she can finally scream. And it's actually the first moment that she, that she as Nell as a six-year-old had seen the bent neck lady is the last moment that she sees as a bent neck lady before she finally dies. It is horrifying stuff. <laughs> yes. And it's funny because the bent neck lady then continues to haunt the family. So even though we see that, which is beautiful and sad, and you're just like, oh my gosh, um, so symbolic, this idea that you're being haunted by this thing that you're scared to to have happen, but yet it will, ha it still happens regardless of what she, she does because she doesn't understand the meaning of it. Right. And she haunts her family later, but it's really reflective. Like this is in the next episode. It's at Nell's funeral where all her family gathers. It, it harkens back to a time in their life when Nell disappears and no one can see her. And she keeps screaming and screaming and screaming for them. Um, and when she finally reappears, she says, I was right there and screaming and shouting and none of you could see me. Why couldn't you see me? And then later in her life, you know, right close to before she died, when her brother Luke wanted one last, you know, hit of drugs and she gives him the drugs and he's so busy, like getting ready to shoot heroin that she says, I'm having a hard time too. Nobody wants to see it. And even then at that moment, Luke doesn't even hear what she's saying. And really it's that, you know, the hold of depression that has been like that specter that has been there and, and that she is beginning to feel and it's hanging over her um, until she, she dies by suicide or what, you know, and, but what we see as um, the house itself um, making right. this happen. That messed me up. I'm not going to lie. When I watched it, but it wasn't like right in the moment. In the moment, I was like, oh, mm. dang, that's cool. And yeah. I watched the rest of it. But when I went to bed that night and I didn't sleep too well and it wasn't really fear. It was just I watched something I love so much. I just want to think about it all night. Mm -hmm. Although I will admit I did have all the lights on when <laughs> I was walking back to my room in the dark. Yeah. So. It's, yeah, it's, it, I think it's like because you start to feel the heaviness of this, like, I don't know, the things that we're haunted with ourselves right. too, right? She's literally haunted with the specter of like, of what her, what she can inherit from her family. She ends up fulfilling the prophecy of it. And, and I think that's Steve, so scary. Yeah. And when Steve, like, it's only because you don't really see her doing it. Right. But you hear her, like when Steve says to her, you, you try everything. Like, what is this now? Because she comes and interrupts him at like a reading and says, like, you used our stories, but you he had never at that point ever seen a ghost and didn't really believe in it, but was using their story for fame because he wrote the story of his family um, right. without their permission. And he was like, yeah, well, what is this? Like another like new age thing or like he, he was basically saying like all this stuff she was doing, like no one was listening to her and the help that she needed. That she obviously had been trying so hard to get and where her brother turned to drugs she was turning to like new age sessions and then now they're now like antidepressants and he's like you just keep trying all these things but no one really saw the pain that she was in or you know what she was going through and it wasn't only it wasn't until she was had died that people started to like actually think about 
and feel that guilt and start to unpack what had happened to them as children as well. Right. And like, like, oh, damn. Sorry, my brain just farted because I just loved everything. I just loved everything you just said. And and I'm like, I don't know how to make that better. (laughs) Or or I don't know how to uh, how to bounce the tennis ball back, so to speak. the best thing i can say is hell yeah (laughs) but but i think like what's cool is that we think if we kind of go to the end which this is yeah we are spoiling the end i'm saying it because i'm going to spoil it right now um because there's (laughs) there's this uh place in the in the house haunting up this of a hill there's a place in hill house which is called the red room that no one can get into but when they do get get into it um nell basically says um at the end of the in the last episode the siblings get into the red room and they start to kind of see their own things and basically says the red room is the stomach of the house it disguises itself as different rooms to calm people as it digests them and so this idea that it's just basically they are in a way i think it's saying they're being made to to succumb to the the illness of the house the um to succumb to this thing which it will basically take them all and because they're living in their own spaces and they're not finding this togetherness and not working through it together, they're all so separate. And in a way, at the end, Nell not only brings them together, but saves them and what they're reliving, they relive these good moments with her. And uh, they kind of get to talk to her one last time, freeing them from the guilt that we've seen them through the whole series you know, kind of try to process because it's the things that haunted them were not just ghosts, but the guilt that they carried about what happened to their mom, what happened to their family, their role in it. But then ultimately what happened to Nell, who always seemed the most innocent of them all um, and how they all felt responsible for her death and her pain. And it was through them being able to say in a way goodbye and have talked to her that one last time as she essentially saved them from the house and brought them together. I think that's the powerful thing at the end of this is that idea of we can't do this alone. We have to do this together. Um, yeah. It's the only way through. And that monologue, that was the part that made me cry. Like mm. at first I was so confused. And I think that's the point because she, because her monologue, she just kind of starts saying phrases, but as she keeps going, you realize like those, fra- like those phrases, phrases just turn into like this beautiful speech yeah and um i can't really paraphrase it because like i said i watched this all in one city (laughs) while i was sick with something uh (laughs) so i had like a lot of tylenol and cough medicine in me but i i thought it was some beautiful stuff yeah it was i think it was it was really beautiful and i think i don't know i love like it terrorized you the whole time but in the end right. you kind of feel like you could that there was something good that came out of all of this pain um and i think yeah. that's what a lot of mike flanagan's work does is it takes you to the darkest of places but at the end it's worth some like there's light at the end of the tunnel so to speak there is hope after the darkness yes and that it is, and I think always that this is as it is, there's like no easy answer either. That there is hope, right. but not, but it's not, hope is not easy. And he doesn't, he doesn't tr- try and be like, this is, this is truth. 
You know, he's not trying to provide answers. He's just trying to ask the questions and then try and get different perspectives on it. Yeah, that's what's so amazing about us being able to see this, the aftermath through six different people, the father, um, Hugh, and the five siblings after they lose their mother to the house. And there's like, you know, lots of things that you don't know what really happened. But this idea that the mother had had things that were basically the mother had an had mental a mental illness and a breakdown of some sort and it resulted in her death and to the it affected them all in different ways and so we allowed to see the effects of grief the fears of mental illness like you know Steve and had a secret vasectomy to avoid spreading his family's what he called sickness right. and but these are all real things all the family members felt real things that come from trauma and that come from being children of parents with mental illness and the fears that you can carry because of it. And they all came out in different ways. And so I think that's, that's just so amazing that you got to see all of this stuff was, was like trans, you know, this was very transformative in terms of all these characters and how their lives changed. And it, I think it allowed us to feel like we could identify with one of them or more of them because most people have maybe may not have mental illness in their family in this capacity, but definitely have had, traumatic moments in their lives in some capacity. And this can allow people to kind of see themselves and maybe see the way through that in some way that may be different than the way they're currently dealing with it, which is really interesting and fascinating to me. Oh, yeah, I uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly because I, I just, yeah, I was blown away. I need to watch it again. <laughs> I know. I want to watch it again. Maybe I won't do it all in one sitting because some of it does meld together for me. Mm -hmm. But that's what happens when you watch a 10 hour movie in one day. <laughs> it was like a fever dream, really. Wasn't it kind of is. Yeah. And like, but a lot of a lot of it's coming back to me and it's a little overwhelming. I'm like, I do remember it very well. Yeah. But I did only see it the once. <laughs> and I'm just like, probably shouldn't have done it in one sitting. <laughs> but but it had my entire attention the whole time. Right. Like I was in on my phone. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. was watching it. It's when you really have to. <laughs> yeah, but it's when that you have to like, I, I find there are shows that I sometimes want, like to that feel to me like they're light. They're fun. I listen to it. I do. I watch it while I do something. And, you know, I get it and it's great. And I love it. I love to do that. But there are certain shows, especially Honey Hell House, that I had, it was so engaging, but also like I needed every little, every frame mattered. Yeah. Like there's everything brought meaning to it. So like you don't know what you're going to see or when you're going to see it. And you just need to be in it that whole time, which I loved. Especially because it has the hidden ghosts. Yes, it does. Yeah. Which I didn't see any. I, I, saw, I found that I out some. after reading. Yeah, I saw some, but I was like, oh my God, because they would do things like, why is it? why is the frame like that? Like, why is it showing that corner? Like, it feels like it should be over. And then you're like, there's something there. It was cool. Like, I, I think I only saw them when they were supposed to be seen. I don't think yeah. I saw any of the hidden ones. And honestly, I probably did see them and didn't think anything of it. Yeah. And it becomes like really subconscious. And then you're like, why do I feel so uncomfortable? And you're like, because there's ghosts there. <laughs> right. And now I'm looking over my shoulder, like right now, just in case. <laughs> I really, really, really want to talk about the storm episode. Oh, the two storms. Yeah. That blew me away. Pun intended. Yes. Well, it's also like the sheer camera work of a 
continual shot for an hour. Yeah. Like my my first narrative short film was a, a oneer, as we'll call it, like a one shot. But oh it was, wow, it was three. It was four minutes long. So like uh, comparatively, it's much different. But why they did that? Like just if you read behind the scenes of that, it's just absolutely stunning how they did it, and like just the sheer yeah the choreography and how much they had to practice it and then just to move between the different worlds like using yeah it's incredible and i didn't know it was i didn't know that was a thing mm, mm-hmm. so i'm watching it and i'm like okay yeah and i'm watching it and then i think it clicked for me 10 or 15 minutes into the episode where i was like wait a second yeah i don't think they cut no nope. so then i started paying attention and the only cuts are when they all like go back in time but it's not like even a with, cut really they well it is but it's like they it's seamless camera movement right right like it doesn't it doesn't feel like a cut the only reason i know it we know it's a cut is because the actors are literally different <laughs> yeah but they're just moving into new spaces right right so even though it's like a cut it's still this fluid motion it's all yeah. it's like it it's not almost it is it's an invisible cut yeah it blew my mind and then the jump scare at the end of that i i i i I did the jump but i was the scared 10 out of 10 jump scare (laughs) and it's not even the jump scare of the show yeah well i mean there's yeah there's there's you know and i think it's just such an emotional show that it's like they make it so unrelenting yes because the camera's always on them like it just it's unrelenting and you've just come from this highly emotional episode and then you go into this where they're all grieving and that it's grief is unrelenting yes as is the camera i think we need to pivot into (laughs) the jump scare of the show now that i'm thinking about it okay you you tell me what the is because that jump scare is what is the jump scare Oh, just to make sure we're on the same page. Okay. Yeah. I think it's the one in the car. Yes, that's the one that I jumped. That's the one I jumped yeah. in the subway. <laughs> I I think that is the jump scare of the show. I think that is probably top ten jump scares of all time. I am not gonna do a list of my favorite jump scares. There are far too many. I couldn't do that list. But I, I think that will go down in history, top ten greatest jump scares. Yeah. It was yeah. It was that was the thing that scared me. I was like, because they lull you into something. You're right. lulled into like this emotional scene between two people, and you're like, fine. And then something jumps out. It jumps out, and you're just like terrified. And it's earned in the yes. sense that it's fucking scary. It's not a cat, you know. No, no, no. Yeah, it's not a. It's not a false jump scare. It's it's a true right. jump scare. That's and it's one of relevant. the like, uh, and it's now right. It's the bent neck lady. Yeah, it's her as a like. They would say that she pierced them like as a cor- corpse versus the actual bent neck lady, but it is her. Anytime that yeah, like she scares them multiple, she's she comes to them, appears to them as a corpse and is terrifying, but she only appears to Nell as the bent neck lady. Gotcha. But it doesn't matter. A corpse of your dead sister is pretty terrifying, I'd like to say. <laughs> and Mike Flanagan mm-hmm. owes me. Oh, he owes me because I spilled a little bit of Coke on my pajamas. <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> I embarrassed myself in a subway full of uh, morning commuters. So, oh, yeah, know. you got it worse than me. 
Because I didn't, I didn't spill yeah. that much. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, 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 I jumped. Yeah. And I just think, yes. And I think like, there's just such good filmmaking in this series. Like, I think that's yeah. it too. It's like great storytelling. It comes from great material. Like it's loosely based on Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. Like who is a masterful horror, like horror writer. I just think there's just so much that goes in this and obviously great acting. Um, but again, all rooted in really deep emotional um, moments and characters that are really flawed and broken and just like trying to figure out how to like keep their lives together. Like even when you see Shirley um, tells her husband that she was unfaithful, she's like, just can you hold my hand when I jump? And that's because she's like terrified to to lose him, even despite what she had done. So it's like, yeah. there's just, there's just so much emotional core that like if you did and you took out the jump scares, there would still be the the dread of this family relationship, but it would still work. And I think to me that shows the power of really great horror as much as people are like, sometimes people can be very like down on horror. It's not like, I don't know why, like even in recent years, we've shown so much how it is like such a brilliant art form and it has been for, for a long time, but just like any form can be done in any, any way, whether it's really good or schlocky, like you could do it just like you can do other films but really good horror to me has a really could be a, an amazing dramatic film without the scares, but the, that layer of horror just elevates it even more in my opinion. Oh, I, I agree 100%. And I just, I think horror will always have that sort of disrespect to it mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people out there that just have closed minds. They're yeah. just narrow minded and they view horror as Michael, Jason, and Freddy. No disrespect to those which franchises. Are, which are really but, fun franchises. But anyway. they, they think horror is slashers. Yes. With maybe a ghost story here and there. But people don't want to, they don't want to look past that. They don't want to see horror for what it truly is, which is this diverse genre, which is unique in the sense that it can tackle any subject. Yeah. Any subject. Like a comedy can't tackle grief like this. <laughs> yeah. And like a lot of movies that do transcend and they are considered great films, people don't want to admit their horror when they are. Like Jaws. Mm -hmm. Jaws is a horror movie, but a lot of people are like, oh, that's more of a thriller. Like, no, it's not. It's a horror movie. <laughs> And I think, it, and, it, and sometimes it depends on what people's, and then people have very big, you know, different, definite, different definitions of horror, different things they like to find in horror, the things that they like to see. Again, it's so subjective and it's like, and it's fascinating. Yeah. It's just fascinating. Some, I love it. There's so much flavor, some, something for everybody. <laughs> but sometimes people are just wrong. Jaws is a horror movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's I was no... trying to like give people an out. <laughs> But there is no argument to say Jaws isn't a horror movie. There, There is just yeah. no, because any way you slice it, it's just Jaws is a monster movie. A monster movie is horror. Mm -hmm. Now, movies that have monsters in it aren't necessarily monster movies. But Jaws is a monster movie. That is the point. Silence of the Lambs. That one I can kind of get the argument for. I think that, it's a horror movie, but mm. that one is where I'm like, there's a discussion there. Yeah, I think I'd never classify it as horror, but it's, 
I think it's because it gets muddled by like the investigation of it all. Right. So and, it becomes yeah. very like more this like we need to find the serial killer so we'll talk to another serial killer. So it ends up feeling very like investigational and and then you don't really think about the true horror of this person who once they escape is been unleashed in, on the world, right? Right. Exactly, exactly. And I'm I'm the type of person where my, for my personal definitions a film does not have to be 100% horror for me mm-hmm. to consider it horror. Right. So I will put Silence of the Lambs in the horror family, but I also think it's a crime thriller. Yeah, yeah. I think it's both. Jurassic Park, I think, is a sci-fi horror adventure. I'll put mm. it in the horror family, but I think it might be 40% horror, 35% horror. That's enough for me to consider it a horror movie. Interesting. But I think it's also an adventure movie, and I think it's also a sci-fi movie. Well, it's definitely yeah. a sci-fi movie. It's definitely sci-fi, yeah. Um, I don't take anyone seriously if they don't consider Jurassic Park sci-fi. It's science. <laughs> it's literally, they, they're like, look at the science we've done. Right. Someone's <laughs> to tell us that. Look, we're bringing in scientists. <laughs> exactly. And I know I just kind of said percentages for Jurassic Park, but when I think of, like, percentage like how how do you quantify a genre or quantify a genre it's just me bullshitting but i I just i just kind of think of it as like as like i think jurassic park is 100 percent a sci-fi movie yeah it has all of the elements for that whereas it's kind of like a 35 40 percent horror movie because it has a lot of the elements But enough for me to where if I went to a horror convention and I saw Jurassic Park merch, I wouldn't think twice. Yeah. Like Alien, I think, is 100% a horror movie and I think is 100% a sci-fi movie. Yeah. It'd be sci-fi horror, I'd say. It has all the elements of horror and has all the elements of sci-fi. I don't think it goes halfway on the horror. You know what I mean? But is it it sci-fi? Are we saying it's sci-fi because they're exploring space because or because there are alien creatures i think on a surface level of it but for me sci-fi kind of for me my personal definition of sci-fi is it has to deal with science on a surface surface level but Mm -hmm. when you dig a little deeper it has to examine humanity Mm, interesting and i think alien does that yeah at least my definition of it yeah, interesting. I was just thinking about that as you said it. I was like, yeah, it's sci-fi. And then I was like, but why is it sci-fi? Like, is it because I guess they are like out there, but they're out there as a party, a, a party of people, not to like, not for scientific exploration, but for, you know, to to check on the on a party that has gone missing. So they're really more military. Right. So yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like it's sci-fi, but almost also sci-fi adjacent. I don't know. It's interesting. No, I get that. I get that. Because Alien alien like the science isn't at the forefront no you, no exactly you have androids alien creatures androids doing scientific experiments on alien creatures but what makes it science fiction to me is it uses the science elements to examine in my yeah. opinion our relationship with capitalism i think aliens an anti-capitalist film oh yes 100 percent. because they went out there because of like of a corporation because yeah. of a corporation yes exactly and it's not them that want to bring back the alien creature. Yeah, it's, well, they want to get home. It's 
well, they don't want to get home. They want to get paid a lot of money. Um, so but they're being greed. forced to do this because yeah. of like the, the fucking stocks. Yeah, it's they all their greed. Yeah, yeah. They forfeit their shares if they don't do it. So th- yes. the corporation is forcing them to do it. Yeah, it's the and, flaw. Yeah. The flaw. So like if you, I know I said it, like the idea of like, it's a, it's a, you have to have a, a house, a monster and a flaw. It's greed, <laughs> right? So yeah. a house, the, sh- the ship, the alien and his greed and you have a perfect horror film yeah and a monster can be a human too right because people can be the worst monsters of all true (laughs) but yeah i love this tangent on genre (laughs) because genre is interesting because like take take uh haunting of hill house obviously Mm -hmm. it's a horror but it is a drama yeah it is 100 a drama and it's 100 a horror movie Yes. our horror show and that's why i'm like i don't mean like i'm gonna take every genre it is i'm gonna put it onto one thing i'm like no does it hit all the marks of a horror movie yes and it's 100 i don't mm-hmm. think jurassic park hits all the marks of a horror movie so i think it's like a 40 50 but but i could say say jurassic park if you kind of look at that thing of house monster flaw you have the park itself because they're contained yeah. and they can't get out you have the the monsters are the you know you say the the dinosaurs but i'd say it's actually really like the guy who net no it's not net yeah ned who takes the nedry nedry takes the um stuff like i'd say he's more of a monster than anyone else but really it's you know would say the dinosaurs and then greed it's about greed as well it's all about capitalism they bring these to life to, to get people to come to the park not because of like not just because of scientific discovery that's joyous, but because they want to get people to come and pay money to see dinosaurs. And, and Nedry, Michael, and Nedry yeah. takes the 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 the, the, the specimens so that yep. someone, he can get paid lots of money. Exactly. That's yeah. all agreed. So yeah, you're right. It is like horror. Exactly. Much so. mm-hmm. We are talking about Silence of the Lambs. I see the argument for and against, and it's not one where I'm like, oh, you're wrong if you think. I really don't think that about many things. It's really yes. just Jaws. Yeah. Where I will flat out tell someone they're wrong if they don't think it's a <laughs> horror movie. Everything else, I think, is a nuanced discussion. Mm-hmm. If you don't think Jaws is a horror movie, I think you're fucking with me. Like, <laughs> guess, well, guess what? Guess what the flaw in, in uh, that is? Greed. <laughs> it's greed. Yes, you could have shut down the, the beach, the mayor. Why didn't he do that? Because it's a, it's a, a big summer weekend and everyone's coming to the beach and I, we don't want to lose money. Horror is just anti-capitalist in its <laughs> <Yeah>. blood. <laughs> but, yep. like, but like with Silence of the Lambs, I can see where someone doesn't think it's horror, but at the same time, Hannibal Lecter is one of the most iconic slasher villains. Mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter is horror. <laughs> well, he's also like the the uh, he's almost the embodiment of like the your fears, right? Like the right. thing that could happen that like you you look at him on the surface, you think everything's okay, and it's the person you're scared to be alone with that suddenly could be the killer, right? Like he but kind at of at the embodies... same time he's charismatic, exactly and suave. He's like a modern Dracula. Yeah. So you'd like look at him and be like, he's all right until he murders you and mm-hmm. eats, eats part of you. And then I'm sorry. 
any movie where a dude is wearing another dude's face, that's a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. He... <laughs> I mean, very smart, though. He's very, very smart. Found his way out. And it won Best Picture. Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie that won Best Picture. We've got to claim something. And I'm claiming it. Jaws was nominated and this one won it. <laughs> what did get get out one best best uh screenplay? screenplay and it was nominated. It was nominated for, for it, yeah. Yeah. We claim so that. Claim that one. Well, that is one hundred percent a horror film. I agree. I claim silence uh, uh, so obviously I claim silence of the lambs. I claim the sixth sense for horror. Yeah. That was nominated for best picture. We just have to get one to get. Well, I guess you're saying if we did Sun Slams one, so we did get one already. But right. I feel like it's a competition, but we'll we'll get another one. Uh, we will. I thought Nope should have been nominated, but at the same time, I thought the movies that were nominated were deserving. Mm. So is it my bias showing one for Jordan Peele because Jordan Peele fucking rules? Mm -hmm. R two. I love monster movies i love alien movies like mm. nope was just made for I, I feel like jordan peele made this movie just for me <laughs> i know he listens to my podcast when he dms you and said it's true i did do it just for you <laughs> oh that's gonna bump him up to my top five <laughs> <laughs> whoa don't say that you have to say you're number one jordan peele like you can't just oh yeah I, you can't just you can't just say you're you're only now in it if you DM me because I I think he won't DM you then. All right, on to House of um, Haunting a Blind Manor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I think it's near the end. Yes, I do. It's time for the most important question, the titular question of the show. <laughs> if you met the bent neck, oh my god, I can't even say it right. If you met the bent neck lady, would you die? Well, I think if the Betnet Lake, if each of us had our own Betnet lady, which I believe that's really what it would be. Yeah. I think we would all die, wouldn't we? I mean, it's it's fate. Like we it's would one to, of like, those things. Yeah. I mean, I think because it is literally a representation, not even just a representation, it is, lit it is literally us in our death. Right. Then, yes, it would have to be. It, it's seeing your future. In yeah. A it's, sense. The, it's the dead version of yourself. Right. So I think so, that's it, really, isn't it? Like, it, it's an anticlimactic ending to the podcast. Um, <laughs> like, because it's weird because I realized, like, I picked this, but I'm like, you can't really fight your. It's like, there's part of you that's like, don't be fatalist. You could, you could change your fate. But in a way, it's like, by her fighting it all along, she felt, walked right into her fate. I had the same problem when uh, the podcast topic was final destination <laughs> yeah like you're just all destined to die like oh yeah. you're gonna like, die they're gonna get exactly. you eventually so it's it's one of those things where it's like the, like the topic is such an amazing topic and i love talking about it it does not work for the concept technically of my show but you know what fuck it i do what i want <laughs> <laughs> I think it I think the it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Yes, exactly. And this show is so good. It it quickly became one of my favorites. I'm glad. I'm glad that our conversation leading to our conversation could get you to watch this 
show that I think really has impacted me as like, not only as an individual watching it, but then made me really think about the stuff that I'm making as a filmmaker. So I just, I love it. So I think it's awesome. I think I would have much smarter. I'll have much smarter thoughts about it when I watch it again. <laughs> it does but, help. Yeah. It does help when you watch it more than once. <laughs> but I, I was, I was blown away. I was blown away the first time I saw it. I, I'm really excited to watch it again. Not anytime soon because I just watched it a few. Yeah, it is heavy. <laughs> yes, but worth it. It's very heavy. It's so worth it. I love Mike Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what do you got going on? What's uh, Where can the people find you? What do you have in the future? All that. So I would say if you would like to find me on the interwebs, I am heatherataylor.com is my website on all the social medias. It's Heather A. Taylor. Please come say hi, check out my work. Um, You'll see some of my horror shorts are on there and some of the other work that I've done. I kind of work across film, television, and podcasts. I have a podcast episode that I did for a narrative podcast series that will be coming out sometime in June or July on iHeart. It's for a series called You Feeling This. Spoiler alert, it is not a horror because oh. I, I also write drama because drama and horror to me live side by side. Um, so this one is not, but it's still beautiful and you should still listen to it. And it's going to be a wonderful series that we got to um, record on location. Um, and mine was nice. on a beach in August in Los Angeles and it was very oh. hot. <laughs> yes um you said you said beach i was like hell yeah. yeah you said la in august i was like oh no <laughs> no no that's hot we thought it was aye, gonna aye, be aye. recorded in march and we pushed back and then it was august but thankfully one week before the major heat wave they had um but that, yeah but thank gosh because my at the time my actress was seven months pregnant with twins so jeez um, that would have been very very bad uh yeah. but amazing amazing production um it's a project developed by an amazing creator called james kim and i'm really excited for that to come out and then i'm working on some projects that i can't talk about yet which is so that's why i'm like follow me on the social medias i will talk about things as they come but um, i have some exciting things that are happening in both the film space and the tv space and so i'm just excited i wish i could say more but i could at least i could talk about the podcast but i am working on some features i have my own feature that i and want to write and direct that's kind of about my family growing up um growing up basically with a mom with mental illness and uh being someone who was the oldest and really felt like you know i was helping take care of the family and talking about that but through the lens of horror and i just can't wait to get it out into the world that will be something let's give it a few years from now but um it will be out and it will be hopefully like a beautiful thing for people to watch. That's awesome. I, so that's, I, that, that's me. That's it. That's all I got for now. <laughs> oh, can I say one thing? Like yes. this is really sad. Not sad, yeah. but I'm, I was nominated for a writer because I'm Canadian and work in the U S but I've been nominated for a writer's guild of Canada award. Um, for Congratulations. Work- yeah. Thank you. It's for the work that I did on the Hardy boys. Um, so I wrote um, just liking putting people in peril is really fun. <laughs> and so I got to put the Hardy Boys and their friends into peril. And we have been nominated for an award for the script that we wrote for season two. Congratulations. Do you know when you. the award will be announced? 
the words will be announced on April 24th. So this may already have passed. It will have. Sure. Yes. I can so tell this... you for sure it will have. Okay. So go on to my, go look on Twitter and see, maybe I won, maybe it didn't, but it doesn't matter. Being nominated counts because the most to me, it was so special because for people who don't know, Writers Guild of Canada, like being part of a guild means that the people who are looking at your work are also writers. And that means that other writers liked your work enough to say that you were the top five. And to me, being part of the top five is just as exciting as being the winner. Take that, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. Where's your w, uh, WGC nominations? Yeah. Spielberg wishes. Uh, yes. <laughs> but it's very exciting. So please come and, yeah, anyways, come and just check out my work, chat to me. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm just, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, it's been really fun. Uh, no problem at all. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Heather for joining me to talk about the haunting of Hill House, haunted houses in general, and what truly makes a horror film. Some filmmaking news. I've already started prep on my next short, aiming to shoot that in August. I'm not going to say too much about it other than it's a true creature feature, which I am super excited for. Also, Ice Cream just got into its second festival, the Die Laughing Film Festival in Los Angeles, California. If you're in the area and want to check it out, it will be this weekend, May 5th and May 6th. I cannot make that trip, but nevertheless, I'm very, very excited. A reminder, I just launched a Patreon. Link will be shared in the show notes, but you can find it as patreon.com slash podcast. There are monthly bonus episodes, movie commentaries, and so many more perks. Plus, you're supporting your favorite monster kid, me. I really hope you consider joining, and to you lovely souls who already joined, I love you. On this segment of I Know What You Watched Last Week, in which I tell you about the horror films I watched last week, I didn't watch any horror films last week. I've been re-watching the Guardians of the Galaxy films, which of course comes out this week. I cannot wait for that. I got to see Return of the Jedi in theaters. That was super cool. Had a good time. There was this kid who decided like halfway, like he was restless throughout the movie, whatever, kids. I'm not too mad about it because that's how you teach kids to behave in the movie theater by, you know, taking them to the movie theater and telling them to behave. But he was getting restless. It's fine. Whatever. This kid starts jumping and he's right behind me. So I had to turn into a grumpy old man, turn around and I had to look at him and be like, hey, bud, can you stop? Thanks. Thankfully, he stopped. I was able to enjoy the third act of Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Oh, aye, aye, aye. Still, I love Star Wars, and it was a good time. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast, where it's become mostly shit posts of gizmo dancing and random music, I find. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week, we're taking a look at anthologies and bringing back a villain who hasn't been talked about since the podcast started. Until next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.